Hey, welcome back to Tunes Tunes Podcast. I'm your host, Harold. As always, you can follow us on social media. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. So I'm really excited for this episode. Had to bring my girl Alexandra Bohannon from the Cinematropolis back in. What up? Hey, what's up? How's it going? <laughs> pretty, pretty good. I really fi- excited for today's show. I know. I figured the format has worked so well before, so we just might as well not mess with it. So uh, <laughs> Why mess with perfection? Yeah, exactly. No, teasing, but not, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for some, for someone that may not be familiar with what uh, you do with the Cinematropolis and everything, can kind of give them a rundown of, uh, you know, like the podcast and the website and everything. Sure, sure. So Cinematropolis.com is um, our uh, film analysis and media uh, website. We have a podcast called The Cinematic Schematic on which I talk about film scores. So we were also in the midst of rolling out our own composers interview series as well. Um, We tend to target more like feature film length media. Um, So if you're interested in this conversation, you can always check us out there at the cinematropolis.com. Yeah. All right. Alexandra is the best. And I love to have her on, uh, especially because, you know, your, your approach is more of like, you know, what, what goes into these film scores and what, what kind of headspace are these composers yeah. in whenever they're putting these things together for film and and uh, all that. So I love to have you in and uh, be able to talk through some of these things. Uh, Guy Moon's in the house. How's it going, Guy? Hey, very good. Good to be with you tonight. Yeah, we appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. We have to give a special shout out to Richard uh, for uh, for setting this up. Uh, God bless you, Richard. Uh, you're, the, <laughs> you're the salt of the earth. Yeah. He's uh, my man. <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, for someone and, you know, we'll kind of do that same thing, Guy, for someone that may not be familiar with some of the things that you get that you've done. Um, can you kind of give us the rundown of kind of, uh, you know, what, what it is that you do as far as like composing and some of the things that maybe you've worked on? Sure. I'm a composer. Uh, my the bulk of my credit list is in animation, cartoon series of Hanna-Barbera, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Dream, and now DreamWorks. Uh, a few other kind of independent projects, but, and also I've done, I have scored um, full length features. I scored the two Brady Bunch movies way back when. And uh, once in a while, one of those pops up for me, but uh, it's mostly scoring cartoons. And, and that's amazing because that makes me so excited <laughs> to talk to you today. <laughs> um, so uh, what were some of your early influences, um, like either bands, musicians, or if you grew up on classical music, how did this kind of shape who you are as a composer and like kind of lead you to being a composer? Well, since I figured you were going to ask that question, I wrote them out. It's a long list. Are you ready? Oh, awesome. Oh, I'm nice. ready. Yeah, go ahead. We'll take, I'm going to take okay. notes. Okay. Here goes. My dad, Scott Joplin, Bach, the Smothers Brothers, Prokofiev, Kansas, George Gershwin, Tchaikovsky, Steely Dan, Oscar Peterson, Dave Brubeck, the Eagles, Chick Corea, Return of Forever, Jeff Haskell, who was my uh, college mentor and teacher. He's the only one you wouldn't recognize on this list. Okay, I was like, eh, I don't know if I know him. <laughs> <laughs> Spyro Gyra, Sanson, Jeff Lorber, The Beatles, Todd Rundgren, and Utopia, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Bjork, Manhattan Transfer, Infected Mushroom, Wagner, John, John, <laughs> John Williams, Dead Mouse, The Chemical Brothers, Bruce Broughton, and Michael Giacchino. Wow, man, that's a nice wow. little comprehensive list there. Some, I love that. Can I have some spillover too with, uh, well, not spillover, but of course people grow up in the same generation might have the same influences. I know when we had Jim Lang on, he uh, he tabbed uh, George Gershwin, Rhapsody uh-huh. in Blue, as one mm-hmm. of the one of the integral uh, pieces that he remembered as like something that was like a, compo- uh, like a classical piece that really had like a profound impact on him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. I started uh, playing piano at five and my parents put me into lessons classical piano lessons at seven so that's why there are a lot i'd say maybe half of the the influence on on that list are keyboard players Mm. so i really listened and and learned a lot through um the lessons and the classical side of things no that's cool man yeah it's it's cool to see like 
I don't know. It's like we, so many people start off in a different place and they have like their start and like influences come from different areas and then end up in the same field or yeah. kind of doing the same thing, composing right. for cartoons or shows. And so it's, it's interesting to see that, you know, there are some differences there, but I definitely see some parallels with, you know, some of the other composers that we've had on and mm-hmm. like some of those, like, yeah, some of the influences there in the background. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And to answer yeah. the second part of that question, Alexandra, um, I think it really helped. You know, I didn't really know till I was in Los Angeles for about seven years, just doing any kind of musical project I could. I didn't really understand that that variety of uh, influence would lead me to animation because the shows that I get and the, the, the producers that are kind of loyal to me are really pulling from so many different styles and genres and eras it's um it's a little less like you know say like Ed Ed and Eddie has got a score it's like a jazz quartet or a quintet and it's just it's cool and it's slick all the way through but for, somehow I got into this um, area where it just goes all over the place so I think it really helped the and that's part of the reasons I put that extensive of a list in here is because it really did shape. Um, my sensitivities and and what I was was listening for, right? And I think one of the other ones um, that I heard your reference was one that I l- really love to hear, especially from composers, because I think we talked about when we had Jim Venable on mm-hmm. that he was a big fan of the Beatles. And oh yeah, wow. oh yeah. Anymore, it's like uh, sometimes it's it's kind of like people think it's hokey or something yes. to to reference the Beatles or to like them, and I'm oh. like, dude, I don't understand where that comes from because. Like their it's impact is so profound. Incredible music. Sorry. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it seems to me like their influence is even growing still. I mean, yeah. they're they're all over the place. They're you just hear them everywhere you go. There's so many cover what? arrangements of of the Beatles songs, and you know, my kids, my kids are all in their either late twenties now or early thirties, and they're they just love the Beatles. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's like. You know, Paul McCartney's still doing shows. Yeah. It's like, yeah. man, it's insane. Those guys are still. Yeah. Uh, Ringo. I had a friend, <laughs> yeah. Ringo, too. <laughs> I had a friend go to a Paul McCartney show, and he's just like, the way he described it was that it felt like he was like at, in like Branson of like a, a someone doing like the hits of someone, but it's like, it's the actual guy. Though. Absolutely. Like, yeah. It's just like hit after hit after hit after hit. And it's just like, how is this, this possible? career. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's anymore, I almost see that it's like not really reference that people like you know talk about them or talk about liking them and i I don't really understand where that comes from but yeah it's it really gives like validation whenever we have like you know multiple composers on the show and they're like you know no i like those guys like those guys had a big influence on me (laughs) yeah so with that um you know we kind of get your background and some of the music that you're into growing up um was that you know is that kind of put you in a headspace of like you know kind of pursuing composing as a career like what what kind of puts you on that path like of a of a you know really pursuing that as like what you want to do you know i i i moved to los angeles in 1985 got married to my beautiful wife jennifer in july of 85 and we got in a honda civic and we drove out to california with about 700 dollars. and i knew i knew two friends that lived in los angeles from college and as i look back every Every gig or experience I've gotten, I've gotten through the connections of those two friends. Um, but I, <clears throat> one of the, one of the scenarios was uh, there was a company called Tyrell Mann, Steve Tyrell, who's now a jazz singer and um, who's a pretty successful recording artist, and Barry Mann, who was a hugely successful songwriter, had put a publishing company together, and um, one of my friends had got a a song a songwriting deal there his name was Scott Cutler so he had brought me in to do some demos and for 7 years i worked at this place and i did whatever was needed and i didn't really have a direction you know so the question of how did i pursue the career i really didn't pursue this career of composing music for animation and i kind of feel like it found me because Again, for seven years, I did so many different, uh, I I supplied so many different types of services, all generally related to music, but some weren't. I mean, I was setting up people's MIDI studios and running for coffee, 
you know, like a lot of, a lot of people in their first jobs, but I would do, I'd produce and arrange song demos. I'd do orchestration. I would print charts uh, for string sessions. Um, and just so many different things. I was just happy to be working. I had a job. I was making money. But it wasn't really till my tape got in the hands of the music supervisor at Hanna-Barbera. His name was Bodie Chandler. And that's when things started to click because at this point, after working at the same studio for seven years, I was kind of looking for something else to do, the next step. And although I was scoring... Here and there, I was scoring kind of miscellaneous scenes at this uh, publishing company because they had gotten into supplying songs for soundtracks. And then naturally that led to Steve Tyrell got some gigs uh, scoring series and films. That's where he's who I got the Brady Bunch movies through. My tape got to Bodie Chandler and he called me up and started throwing me these little five-minute deals uh, one of them was called Fender Bender 500, and these were these were familiar characters to me because I saw them as a kid. So I I was just thrilled to be uh, writing writing music to that kind of show, and it went really well. And he started throwing a few more things at me, and I gobbled them up. And finally, he gave me a shot at. Um, submitting for Cow and Chicken. So that was really the first full series that I that got that I was the composer on. I had done several things where I was an additional composer or assistant or things like that, but that was really kind of when I found animation and anim- animation found me. Right, that's cool, man. Yeah, it's like um, you know, it, it's almost like asking like the secret sauce or something because We've asked so many composers, you know, how does this happen? How, like, how do you yeah, get to where yeah. you are? And literally everyone's answer is, man, like, I just <laughs> immersed myself in it and grinded it out and, like, did any work I could. That was, that was basically Jim Venable's story. Like, yeah. He, he uh, worked on some background stuff for Dexter's Lab. It sounds like he had a pretty similar experience. Right. So it's just like that, that uh, you know, that grassroots thing of just, like, getting up by your bootstraps and, like, knocking out anything you can and like yeah, just well, being immersed I, in it and doing whatever you can get your hands on. I believe Jim and I both worked for uh Chase Rucker. I mean they were oh, nice. they were huge in the in the uh cartoon music scene. They were they were, they were doing so many Hanna Barbera productions. Yeah, I know Jim. We've we've spoken and we bump into each other once in a while. Yeah. yeah. He's a I, good dude. I yeah. think those circles like it's just you you think the world is so big, but in certain circles, it's so small. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, speaking of the Hanna Barbera, I know you'd mentioned that that the Adams Family cartoon was the one that you'd worked on, right? Um, can you kind of talk about how that kind of came about? Like, how did you get like the opportunity to be able to work on that? Was it just like grinding out and you just knowing the right guy at the right time type of thing? Well, that was another case where Bodie Chandler put me up for that he saw something in me that really had potential but um he would just kind of spoon feed me at first and then each little project that i um accomplished he would give me the next bigger thing so that was um i scored 13 half hours of that and then they had some change in um they went two seasons which i think was 26 half hours but they had some change in in the uh, producer position. So they brought in a different composer for the second season, even though they were pleased, you know, fine, pleased with the music for the first season. But, and that's why I kind of don't feel like it was my first real, mm. real baby because, you know, gotcha. there's, if you go back and, and watch that cartoon, there's any given day, you could hear, be hearing a, a, a composer other than myself on it. So, um, yeah, that was all Bodie. I mean, he, I owe a, a debt of gratitude to him <laughs> because um, he really took me under his wing and just kind of fed me as it was appropriate. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I could kind of see how you're saying that. Like if you're, you know, kind of being, you, you're able to start something, but you don't quite get to finish it. I could kind of see how that would be like a thing where it's yeah, like, eh, I just I feel a little yeah. bit t- detached from it. Yeah, I just don't yeah. feel like it's mine, you know. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, cause I was talking to, um, 
well, in, in like a recent example, the um, latest season of Serial, which is another podcast, they have like a, they have com- a com- composer for that series. But on season three, it's like you listen to the mu- music credits for it. It's like a list of names and it's like, who actually composed this? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. the, I mean, it's like the title theme is remixed by these people. Additional music by five additional people. It's uh-huh. like, wow. So where did all this come from you know who did what yeah exactly yeah that'd be a weird place to be in yeah so you mentioned cow and chicken um so i'd be really i'd love to hear just kind of your story like working on that show so you 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 get the gig and then like what like what happened then what year was that either what what, do you remember oh late 90s was that late 90s let me see here. Remember, man. Let me see. So it's credited starting in 95. Okay. So 90, okay. 95 to 99. Okay. And that felt like, and it must have been 50. Yeah, at least it went to syndication, so it had to be 52 episodes. Yeah, so that was a good uh, a four-year chunk of my life. Um, but that at, at the time, Hanna-Barbera uh, had a policy uh, that each show would be, they would submit, uh, let's say, four to eight composers for to score the uh, series, you know, when they got a green light. So Bodie was responsible for having these, going through the, the composers and going through submissions and presenting them to the producers. And David Feast was the creator on that and producer. And um, the word was that he wanted music that was just crazy really really didn't give a style or a genre or a like it wasn't this thing where it was like you know oh we want to hear something we've never heard before we didn't get anything like that it was just like the crazier and far out the better so wow so my submission i just i just went nuts and, and at that time at least all the submissions that i gave were were not to picture they were just like write okay. write a minute of music based off you really get a paragraph or two a synopsis of what the series was going to look like so as usual i spent i probably spent 3 or 4 days writing 60 seconds of music cuz i wanted the gig so bad and um you know you go through the process maybe they'll thin it down to two composers and then maybe they'll ask you to write another 30 seconds or maybe they'll throw a, a bit of the picture at you or a pencil test and, you know, score that. But, um, so mine was crazy enough that David chose it. And there, at that time they were also doing, um, uh, it was called, Oh yeah. No, not Oh yeah. Cartoons. It was, was it? Uh, yeah, it was, cartoons? it was what a cartoon. Oh yeah. oh yeah! Oh yeah! I was later There's at Nickelodeon. Okay, yeah. that's right. So yeah. what right. a cartoon! I knew that sounded familiar. Yeah. Well, so what they would do was Fred Seibert was president of Hanover Bear for five or six years, and I'm not sure if this was his idea, but he would. It was common for him to just throw out. He would get forty different short stories of five to seven minute. I think they had needed to end up being seven minutes, so they could put three of them together to make uh, a half hour episode. And um, so that was one of David's, one that David uh, submitted, Cow and Chicken. And I had done some other of these little short guys, too, on What a Cartoon. And one one that I recall vividly is Pizza Boy. It was just, there was no dialogue in the thing. It was just music constantly the whole time. And it was, it was very action-oriented. And... Um, I was real comfortable with jazz because I had had jazz training in college and, and also took jazz piano in high school. So I just, again, that they didn't give me much direction other than just be maniacal because this the story was about this pizza delivery guy who they they promised to deliver your pizza in five minutes and they got a call from an order from Alaska. Oh, I remember this. So, I remember this. Yeah. That's so awesome. yeah. <laughs> We just, and, um, I, one of my friends just randomly brought this cartoon up the other day and asked me if I remembered it. Wow. That's awesome. So it was just maniacal jazz for seven <laughs> minutes. Wow. And I tried to, um, 
you know, fit the picture as much as possible. And I, I realized that with the faster your tempo is, the more you can hit things because when you start subdividing beats and quarter notes and eighth notes and sixteenth notes, um, you can really, I mean, at certain tempos, a a sixteenth note would probably equal two different two frames of of film time. So I was able to with jazz because a lot of the accents, well, typically accents are are very um, effective on the offbeats or on the sixteenth note. So I started putting these hits. The, the tempo would just barrel on through, so you'd get this energy of the franticness and the schedule that this guy is on delivering a pizza to Alaska in five minutes. But I could hit. They 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 really loved hitting things. You know, it's physical comedy. Uh, you know, if he'd run into a wall or something, or or get bonked on the head by a, an Eskimo, it was super easy to put accents um in the jazz format so it worked really well and i'm i'm sure that david feast saw that um but we didn't end up doing too much jazz and cow and chicken but uh that was kind of where i found a, a mechanism to combine the physical comedy with the music and my goal was that neither would suffer and I think it worked out pretty well. No, oh, yeah, that's a cool show to be able to like work on. Um, just because I remember how like zany that show was, and it was almost it kind of had like a uh, anthology feel because it had a couple shows in it. You know, it had like the mm-hmm. I Am Weasel, the I Am right. Baboon, right? Um, and yeah, and just, that's another you know, show where Charlie Adler did. <laughs> he may have done four of the voices, but he definitely did the main three voices. And he was just wow. just brilliant. <laughs> I, I got a kick. That, that was one of the shows where I, I would be constantly laughing while I was working on that show. So it just it made it really fun to work on it. So at the time, um, and I guess also this kind of goes back to your um, demo tape too. Were you did you have like a full studio setup, or did you have like? Um, I, I don't know, like, didn't know, like, where computing was. I guess that's night, night, early 90s, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I had been familiar with the Lin 9000, and uh, to what I recall, the synthesizers were just re- kind of solidifying the digital age of synth so that we had the DX7 and the D50. But really, that, well, at least the Pizza Boy was done with, all, with, with a real, jazz band i probably oh, I, that's I, cool i must that's crazy. have yeah i think it was about a a seven piece oh probably my gosh. Like, that's so, legit man that is so cool like rhythm section and then uh trumpet sax and trombone yeah so maybe it was six but i must have done a demo or something you know f- to show them <clears throat> the hits and things so i was super familiar with the lin 9000 but i, I can't imagine i did that on the Lin 9000. But I just had enough gear to to do that. And of course I was, you know, being classically trained and trained in jazz through college, I never it was never a requirement for me to learn the technology, but that was another oh, thing yeah. that when I got to Tyrell Mann Studios, I just ate it up because they were they had they had it all and and I think that was one reason we had such a good term there was because they were looking for someone who was either familiar with the technology or willing to learn and you know a young a young imaginative brain to to help them move their thing along so that was a really good partnership and in the process i learned the synthesizers and you know now i now i have a computer and a bunch of pcs and it's a lot of samples and things so but when i go back and listen to that score i've I smile and you can tell I'm smiling now because it is yeah. every, every, every sound on there is coming from a real musician, except for the uh, mouth harp <laughs> oh, really? because, really? because I, yeah. And I actually sampled it myself because I, there was a certain, there was about a three bar section that worked great to just have a mouth harp solo. 
Oh but, my God. you know, those things only have one pitch. So I sampled it and I just played it on the keyboard and it's real. Wow, it's, that's it's legit. Goofy, yeah. <laughs> it just worked out perfect. I would have never guessed that that was played on a keyboard. That's insane. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow, that is cool. Wow. This is the stuff we live for, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, <laughs> good, good the job, weeds, guy. The, yeah, the weeds. <laughs> you gave us gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so cow and chicken went to 99 and then I'm pretty sure, uh, fairly odd parents started in 99. I think that started on, oh yeah, cartoons, right? Yeah. And so what, how did, so did cow and chicken kind of lever, get you in the limelight and then you got a call from Butch Hartman and you're saying, it's like, Hey guy, come and work on my hot new show. It's going to be great. Or how did that work for you? Well, I had met Butch earlier uh, at Hanna-Barbera because he was a, well, he did. Every, he wore a lot of hats, but he <clears throat> was a writer on Johnny Bravo. And, oh my gosh! Of course, yeah, yeah. And they um, they called me in for a, f- a few episodes. I'm still not sure why, but they wanted. Um, I mean, I'm sure not sure why they needed to call another composer in, but they wanted an episode that was had a lot of uh, Get Smart influence and um, that kind of maybe maybe the Saint that era of, and that was that's kind of jazzy. Too, um, but they had a whole episode, and those were seven-minute episodes too, um, that were all put together to make a half hour. So I met Butch on that episode, and he really liked what I did, and we didn't talk again for a couple of years. And then when he was, when the whole crew had. I mean, when Cow and Chicken ended, Hanna-Barbera was pretty much dissolving and kind of morphing into Cartoon Network. And <clears throat> so a whole Fred Seibert took a whole team of creators from Hanna-Barbera because they were pretty much letting everybody go. And he took them over to Nickelodeon. And I remember Fred even rented a whole different space. I mean, he wasn't even on the Nickelodeon campus at first. But... Uh, and Bush was one of those guys, and Fred just went again and did the the same process over at Nickelodeon. And that this time it was called Oh Yeah Cartoons. And that's when um, I'm sure Butch submitted several, but um, Fairly Odd Parents really caught their attention. And then um, when they were talking about who was you know time to hire a composer, Butch recalled our work together on that Johnny Bravo episode. And um, I, I think there was another composer who they were considering, but Butch finally ended up um, hiring me for it. And thank God. Because... Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, is the show still on? I haven't watched yeah. it in a very long time. It's still on. It's still <laughs> on. But it was... It's, it's still being aired on Nickelodeon. But it was in production till 2017. Okay. I mean, it was, okay. It that was, was my question. Production time. Yeah. 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 yeah and officially, it's it's 2001 because the first, you know, the process That's with right. these oh yeah cartoons is you do a seven minute and then if they like it they they order uh, maybe say six more seven minute. And if they still like it, then they go okay, we want to go with a series for you. And and I believe uh, Fairly Odd Parents' first season was 13 half hours, and then it very quickly gained popularity. So they. They soon, when they were ordering season two and three, I think they went up to 20 half-hour orders, which is real strong. And then they just started ordering 26 half-hours. It's just it's a really very successful run for for a title. Yeah, I mean, that almost has the longevity of SpongeBob, which is another, like, gem in Nickelodeon's crown. Right, yeah, right. exactly. I mean, so many, so many things have come from fairly odd parents and that's just, it's just a remarkable and I'm just kind of in awe of you because you worked on that show with Butch and <laughs> right. that's kind of iconic. surreal. Iconic. Yeah. I mean, we talked about some of the tracks before we got on. Did you maybe want to talk to them yeah. about some of those? <laughs> okay. So I was having a talk with Harold before we got on the air and we weren't a hundred percent. So we just start talking about specific episodes and it's like, wait, d- does this mean that he like wrote, Chip Skylark songs like Icky Vicky and My Shiny Teeth and Me. Yes. Did you write those? <laughs> yes. I oh wrote my oh, word. I, <laughs> awesome. We were trying to find it. We couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, we couldn't find like the who specifically like composed those 
numbers. Yeah, you know what's funny when when people when I'm you know just randomly walking around or whatever, and somebody <laughs> finds out I worked on Fairly Odd Parents, did music for Fairly Odd Parents. The main thing they think about is the theme. They go, "Oh, I love that theme." And it right. turns, yeah. turns out that that theme is the only music I didn't write. You didn't write, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Ron Jones wrote that, and it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's oh, it's great. I love it. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, all the other songs. That was so fun. Yeah, I I still. <laughs> have all the lyrics of like the shiny teeth in me buried in my subconscious. Yeah. I know. She was singing it earlier and yeah. I was like, man, you still remember all those words. All I remember is like the icky, icky, ooh, ooh. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, but that's iconic. To, like I'll just be in the shower singing that. Right. And I'm like, man, I still remember that. I, so got, I got called icky Vicky because my middle name is Victoria and a lot of my friends knew that like oh. after that episode dropped. <laughs> really hit, really hit home for Alex. Then. Well, you know, you know, those kids, um, the kids' voices on Icky Vicky, those are yeah. my kids in, in the, what? In, no the way. Uh, in the audience. Yeah, <laughs> they start the song uh, off. V. That's I crazy. C K Y. Yeah, that's. Uh, oh, I think my gosh. my son was probably seven or something, and my daughters were like nine and, that's and eleven, it. and it was just perfect. Is that that's the oh, demo? Wow. That's the demo. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's. We're getting nugget after nugget from guy. <laughs> I love God, it. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, nah, man, it's cool to kind of hear that parallel of, of you know, um, Nickelodeon kind of having that almost litmus test uh, trial ground for yeah, like these yeah. these cartoons because still Cartoon Network it. did the same thing. Yeah, and they still do that. Yeah. But it's like crazy to see like the ones that have come from like those types of shows. From so very like, humble beginnings. Yeah, Powerpuff yeah. Girls yeah, was like exactly. that. Uh, Fairly Odd Parents was like that. But do you have anything to speak to as far as like working between like the two, uh, the two networks? I know you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but I didn't know if there was anything specific that stuck out as far as like the process being different between Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon or anything like that. Well, um, there was a big difference. There was a big jump from Cartoon Network for me because Nickelodeon ch- it chose not to have a music supervisor. So, and uh, coming from, a company, or Hanna-Barbera, where Bodie Chandler's got to be one of the best music supervisors that ever lived. Or, you know, some sometimes their title is music director, but it's an executive position. So it's really important that that person ha- have a creative sense and even some musical talent, but also is representing the, the uh, corporation uh, to be, to get things on time and get things on budget and blah, blah, this and that. So when I got to Nickelodeon and started um, working with Butch on Fairly Odd Parents and a few other things, it was like, man, they don't have a position of music supervisor. Now, there are some things I liked about that and other things I didn't like so much, but that was definitely the biggest thing. It was kind of like Butch and I went in there and we had to wrestle through all the processes on our own you know the scheduling and eventually we got uh different staff people to help with the scheduling and and richard cray my manager who you spoke to earlier had to jump in and really figure out what the layout is because i was used to being very well directed by uh by a completely proficient music supervisor and now i'm plopped on a hit show where the, the position doesn't even exist at Nickelodeon. Yeah. That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah. So that was a big one. I, I wouldn't consider it a problem, but that was definitely the main difference between the two networks. <clears throat> um, that, the, now, the difference between shows on the same network is kind of another story because that's uh, more of a creative you know, jumping from one creative space to another has its challenges, but I, uh, you know, I really welcome that. And the shows that I scored for Butch, we definitely had our process down. So each time we started a new show, it was just a matter of inserting the genre or the style into that process. And so eventually after two or three years, but we had so much, um, common knowledge and language that it was it was kind of on autopilot and there was just a few there'd just be a few notes and fixes from butch 
he's very particular. He definitely knows what he wants. And, um, but after a while it got, but I, I think I recall my first, my first set of notes. I, I started out by writing them down on paper, like, like most composers do. And they probably teach you that at the film school, you go to a spotting session after you've scored your, your episode or your film and you take your notepad and you write down what the director says. But Butch was so rapid fire that I figured out man, I, I couldn't write that fast. And on the first couple episodes, I had four pages of notes. And he was just, in, in retrospect, he was just forming me to be the composer that he heard on his show. And this was fairly odd parents because it had been, you know, the buzz was getting pretty hot about this show. So I finally figured out, I'm just going to videotape this spotting or oh, wow. this review session and then that way i can just listen and i can participate and i won't have to be writing you know like crazy and trying to make short shorthand and this kind of thing and after i did that it was just a the spotting sessions and the review sessions just became much more relaxed and um more natural and I could just go home and replay the video and I even if there were questions I had I could replay it over two or three times just to really get the sense of what he wanted because I really didn't want to he's the kind of guy you don't want to ask him can you repeat that <laughs> you know <laughs> he's got he's got so much going on and I wanted to be in and out of there and really serve him like that so that's that's where I started and since since I started that videotaping the sessions i i didn't go i did that with all the all my producers and it That's was awesome it was especially valuable with butch because he would actually sing most of what he wanted to hear <laughs> oh wow yeah and he had like, played it play to me play to me yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so as long as i could do that i was done you know like if he he's saying these little motifs and once in a while he'd re refer, reference an artist or a, or a musician or a composer or a song from pop, pop culture. But most of the time he was basically trying to imitate the early uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons, <laughs> you know, where the, if Bugs Bunny was tiptoeing, then Carl Stalling right. would yeah. just be like pizzicato. So that's exactly how he communicated. And then it, from, after that, we just cruise through those sessions. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think because it does overlap because I think Danny Phantom was oh two three ish. So you're still working on Fairly Odd Parents, but then you start work on Danny Phantom also with Butch as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that time in your life because I'm. I'm a huge fan of Danny Phantom, so. So am I. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a great show. It is, that and was, that's the reason why I knew your name was the title card, because it would always be like filmed by, uh, you know, scored by Guy Moon. I'm like, Guy Moon, in that little, that, that great little motif played over the illustrated card at the top of the show. Yeah, another, yeah. another thank you to Richard Cray. Yeah. He, 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 really, he really orchestrated that. Um, yeah, Danny Phantom, yeah, it was 2004, I believe. And, you know, Butch had several, two or three seasons of Fairly Odd Parents under his belt. So uh, I believe it was Albie Hecht who was president of Nickelodeon at that time. Greenlit Danny Phantom. Butch says it was just over dinner and Butch just pitched him the synopsis and he he bought it. That's <laughs> which, amazing. Which is, which is a pretty unique way to get it but wow what a what a great show that came out of it um like i said our process was the same there wasn't a there wasn't one difference in the way we met and how it was scheduled and i remember it was basically you get 10 business days to score a, an episode so it's it's pretty much like com in composer time that's two weeks because composers don't take any days off if they're you know, if they got to crank this stuff out. So that, the schedule was the same. But since that score was infinitely more challenging musically than Fairly Odd Parents, it was a bit of an adjustment to crank that mm -hmm. much music. First of all, Butch, all Butch's shows are wall-to-wall -wall music. And, you know, 
if it's 22 minutes of program, there's 21 minutes and 55 seconds of music in it. <laughs> oh, wow. Which I love because, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a lot of music and it's great for uh, royalties because the more music you have in the episode, the more you make when it plays worldwide and on uh, cable and, and so forth. So that was that part was great. But not only was it um, wall-to-wall music, but the intensity of the music was mm-hmm. way, way higher than the Fairly Odd Parents. Fairly Odd Parents was it was kind of it was kind of jazzy. It was kind of light. But man, when you know Danny Phantom, you're in this kind of you're in this kind of dark world. He's always battling these ghosts, and and Butch's action is so fast and almost frantic. And mm-hmm. when the, you know, there'd be enough dialogue, but when the fight scenes came in, it was two minutes with no dialogue. And it was just, you were just scoring, you know, like everybody does the f- film composers and you just, you get your time, you get your slot and you just want to kill it. So um, the, the general style of the fight scenes was kind of like rock based band um kind of techno mm-hmm. you know we were we were we were either in or entering the techno stage so my drum sounds were certainly i tried to have a techno influence uh, a lot of processing on the drums but over that a real f- f- firm orchestral dramatic evil at sometimes um orchestration because the the ghosts in Danny Phantom were drawn and um, intentionally much more scary than than anything in Fairly Odd Parents. I mean, in Fairly Odd Parents, uh, Crocker, you know, would get yeah. kind of <laughs> scary once in a while, but not really. He's still he's still a goofball. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, so that was the that was the big difference. It took for every hour I worked on Fairly Odd Parents, I worked three hours on Danny Phantom. Yeah, for, wow. for the okay. same yeah. for the insane. same amount of music, and, it, and that is that's the show at you know I started getting multiple shows and there were two two times at Nickelodeon where I had three shows going at once. So I started I didn't want to start librarying the music, so I started hiring orchestra mm-hmm. or, uh, arrangers. And at one point, I had nine arrangers. Wow! God dang! And then. It becomes now I'm a arranger manager. Oh my god! <laughs> so, yeah, add, that, add that to your list you know. of uh, duties. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, but no, I'm really glad you brought up the tonal differences between the programs because I mean, Danny Phantom was definitely geared for it's still yeah it's still children, but you're I mean yeah, it hit me yeah. at like the exact point of where I was where it, like I'm in that weird place where I'm not a kid but I'm not like. even really a teenager either. So it's like what that like really just kind of spoke to me and the music really spoke to me, especially. Um, And then of course, I mean, like in the, the Ember episode, you're of course you scored that part, like all of her rock guitar and you composed her songs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did did everything on Danny Phantom, even the theme. Oh yes, and the theme too. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Nice, because I I never want to assume about the theme just in just in case because it seems like it's frequent that it's not the theme. Yeah, exactly. But the theme, yeah, yeah. But, and a lot of times the theme composer isn't isn't credited too. Oh, that too, absolutely. It's pretty common that the the score is. I mean, especially yeah. on these type of shows because it's so score intensive. You can't hardly you can't ignore the score. It's just constantly hitting everything. And when I say I wrote that, I, I'm always the music side. There, there, there would always be lyrics for me. You know, I don't, I don't, I yeah. may have changed a few syllables here and there cause they've worked musically better, but it was always, the lyric was just placed out there. And so my job was to, to fit it into music. I mean, I can still, you can, it yeah. doesn't matter. I can still hear all the under <laughs> the backtrack right. playing in my head right now <laughs> underneath the words. So that's so, yeah, that's a fun, so amazing. And you know, that's the, um, that's the third version of the theme that we submitted. Butch and I worked really? on. Yeah. And he has a podcast as well. And he's at some point he's going to um, play those first two versions 
Oh, that's neat. Which, oh, which I just cool. love. And the, the, the second version was probably, I don't know if I should say it, but it's probably my favorite. It was just like, <laughs> it was, it was over the top dark. Really? And then, yeah. And, and we both, Butch and I both loved it, but Nickelodeon's feedback was uh, a little too heavy. <laughs> it was like Batman dark or something. Yeah, yeah, that's it was. Cool. It, I mean, it was dark. It was even without picture. You you knew that it was there was some evil. There's some yeah. serious evil coming up, and they just uh-huh. they yeah. just thought it was a little too much. So we backed off, yeah. and the third yeah, version was enough. the one. Yeah, that's funny. And one version well, even had uh, the, the first version. What didn't have a rap? It just, it just had a melody. You know, like a oh. kind of traditional melody. Yeah. Was it still that riff though? The they, they all yeah they okay. all start with that riff. Okay, and that was a catchy, cool. and that you you'll hear that. That's the joy of you know being involved with the theme song because then you just take what you've done there and you spread it out. Yeah, the what, motif. Yeah, it's a fantastic take motif. That motif yeah. throughout the the show and everything. Yeah, yeah, so you can play that because because I wrote it and it kind of came. And I'm not a guitar player, but I I wanted to write it on guitar because I knew. Guitar would be uh, an important instrument in the score, so I wrote something that I could actually play on guitar, so that when it came time for uh, a chase scene or something where, where the theme was going to be played, then I could play it. And if any for any guitar players out there, you can see if you kind of write that theme out, you can see, oh yeah, that fits right under the fingers. You don't <laughs> barely have to move any you know, very far to play this riff. And that's, you know, simplicity is, is always yeah. great. Yeah. Less, great. Less is more. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, Guy, you obviously have like a, a big body of work. You've gotten to work on a lot of things. I, I know it's um, kind of a tough question sometimes, but, um, you know, if you if you have one, do you have something that maybe is like a project that stands out to you as like being like, man, I really nailed that. Like that's my, my like magnum opus, I guess. <laughs> Well, it shouldn't surprise you. Danny Phantom is my was my favorite one um, because I talk about it so endearingly. <laughs> and, right. And when I go back to look at it, it's just such a it was a beautifully put together. I mean, everything about it was the stories are great, the animation's great, the idea is great. Um, Magnum Opus. Well, there's probably. Um, a piece, one piece. If if I had to choose one piece that described Guy Moon as a composer, I would pick Moon Mania, which wasn't written for any particular show. It was written for a cartoon music library, and it's a let's call it an homage to the Simpsons theme or oh, okay. or a Danny Elfman kind of thing. But it's shown up in, you know, out of the however many credits I have, what does this say? Out of the 110 credits I have on uh, IMDb, probably 30 of them are from that piece. Wow, that's crazy. That was just, um, it's just something you license. You know, you if you're if you're a production house, you buy or you license library music to put in. Sometimes it's because you don't have the money to hire a composer, but a lot of times it's just because a certain scene would warrant a certain kind of piece of music that you can just license for literally 500 bucks or whatever. You know, each one's different, but but yeah, that that would be my magnum opus. And that, um, let's see, this was, this was about, came up in about maybe the early, early 2000, maybe late... 1990s but um it was a company in germany that was putting together this cartoon uh cd library cd in that time cd was the highest quality and the most common medium and charlie Brissett, who ha- was also a nickelodeon composer uh let's see what do you do cat dog and uh a couple uh, angry beavers i believe they had contacted him to start working on this library CD. So he called me and said, hey, you want to write something for this? I said, heck yeah. So we took it up to Seattle and we put a 45-piece orchestra on it. 
and it's about Jesus. <laughs> it's about ninety minute or ninety seconds, and then they usually in this library thing they do diff- shorter versions. So the longest one's ninety seconds, and wow. I did a sixty, and then a forty-five, and a thirty, and a twenty, and a ten, and a five, and so forth like that. So you could you could actually use it. You know, say you have a sports show or a a weather channel or something, you could use that could be cover all your musical needs with these little short things. Um, so yeah, that would be it. Isn't that funny? That's yeah. Incredible. I mean, that's, that's dope, dude. Like all I want to do is listen to it the now. Gift and that you keeps on it giving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'll send it to you guys. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, that would yeah, be dope. It's great. I still, I still like listening to it. How cool, man. That's like a Jim. I remember Jim uh, Lang talking a little bit about doing like library music. He did some stuff for like entertainment tonight. Oh yeah. And I brought, I brought it up and he like hadn't even, he didn't even remember about it. (laughs) He's like, Oh yeah, I did do that. (laughs) So do you have a dream, um, either project you'd like to work on with either specific director act uh director or producer team or even like on a property like batman or avengers or anything like that yeah i want to score shawshank redemption too oh nice wow there you go (laughs) my friend andy dufresne (laughs) (laughs) no i mean mean, they they break back into shawshank I'm half, Electric boogaloo. half kidding and half serious because I, I just love redemptive stories. Mm. And um, I think that's one thing I like wor- with working about Butch because they're all, they're all redemptive. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not, I've actually scored a, a couple of horror films, but I'm, I wouldn't say that's my forte. <laughs> mm. um, even though, ironically, my very first score was a film score. It was on. It, it was actually I spotted the thing, actually on film. You know, like uh, what was it twenty four, thirty two millimeter film? I I spotted it on a moviola. It was called Creepazoids. Wow! This, this was in eighty seven. I'm going off on a tangent here, but <laughs> no, but I funny, enjoy it very much. Do your thing. It, it's like, and I did that was for a film company called Empire Pictures. And I did, it's a connection I made at that first studio, Tyrell Mann Music. I made a connection with one of the um, legal people there who eventually ended up working at Empire Films. Charlie Mann and uh, I think Charlie was the, the, the owner, president. But ironically, they're releasing that score on vinyl next month. <laughs> Oh, that's no legit. Congrats. Nice. We need to grab some uh, Guy Moon vinyl here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first, you know, credit score by Guy Moon. It was, it was I mean, this was this was 87, so this was long before Fairly Odd Parents. Wow. That's cool, man. Um, that's legit. But I did I scored 3 of those and then that was the end of it, you know. I you know, sometimes you figure if you start moving in a certain genre you get pigeonholed but i certainly didn't get pigeonholed in uh the horror film genre but i had a blast doing it and it actually helped me too you know when danny phantom came up it was um it was good to be able to get go to a dark place mm-hmm. but um i love long form i'm trying to think if it, i mean there's not really a project that i would go after i, I love I would like to get into more long form, whether it's theatrical or streaming. Um, I love all my current and past relationships. I mean, I'd love to work with Steve Odekirk. Love to love to continue working with Butch Hartman and Scott Fellows, who I did scored um, the new Rocky and Bullwinkle, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle for DreamWorks. Um, love to work with Jed Spingarn, who was on Back at the Barnyard. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Um, David Feast. Love to do something with him. I, I've been so fortunate and so really lucky. You know, a lot of times when I'm talking to uh, students or doing a seminar, it's like, well, how do you? How did you get to the gig? And so much of it is just, just straight luck. And yeah. if you're, you know, my advice to them is, um, when you're prepared and then you get a stroke of luck, then then you're off and running. 
So I don't know if I answered that question, but yeah, no, that's a fantastic answer. And I love getting, um, from people that have like really robust and experienced careers, like getting advice, um, for people that may be just starting out because, um, I've, I've talked to some composers pretty early on in their careers and they're just like, I'll take, you know, please just tell me, uh, I need some reassurance that what I'm doing with my life is, is okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Cause it's such a scary step. So yeah, yeah I love that advice too. Uh, definitely. Uh, well guy, uh, can you tell us maybe something about, uh, you know, some of the things I know you'd mentioned a few of them earlier, but maybe some things that you're working on right now, or maybe some things that are getting ready to come out or, you know, sure. some, some, uh, the, the scoop on some future projects or something like that. Yeah. I'm actually working on my first YouTube project. It's, uh, Fun. Ho- it's hobby kids and it's based on, well, loosely based on the actual websites of the hobby kids. I don't know if you guys have seen those, but it's I don't his, think I've heard of that. It's his family who's, uh, I think it's mom and dad and three boys, and they're probably in their early teens, and they're just they're just goofing around. And um, Albie Hecht over at Pocket Watch um, uh, approached Butch Hartman to throw together just a, uh, I think it's a 12-episode 12, 12 series for YouTube. It's an animated series based on the hobby kids and i can't even say might not even should say based on um but it's trying it's a they're they're trying to just expand that property because apparently the uh you know the hobby kids on their each have their own website and these are real people and they got lots and lots of followers so so that's something that Hmm. uh, you know i mentioned lb hecht earlier that um, he was the president of Nickelodeon for probably six or seven years. And um, so he gave Butch uh, Danny Phantom. And now Albie's probably been through three or four positions in other companies since then. But he, I'm sure he had something to do with starting this pocket watch. And so he came to Butch. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. That's cool, man. And then Butch has uh, a show called The Garden. It's his own thing. It's independent, but he's got a few... Uh, interested parties out there and he's just writing it and he's um, you know got his crew together to animate and it's a cute a cute pretty cute show uh, a few other things I'm waiting to hear on so I never know if, I won't, I won't, yeah I yeah, won't exactly. mention them until until well, it actually crossed. happens yeah for sure for sure we get it that's cool, man. Well, Guy, we really appreciate your time, man. Uh, you know, taking a minute to chat with us about some of these, you know, and and humoring us with some of the burning questions we've had about <laughs> things such as Icky Vicky and, and and Danny Phantom. Is there going to be a Danny Phantom score vinyl? I'm just curious. Oh man, I would love everywhere. it. Yeah, we need that I on wax. I would love it. <laughs> I would love. Yeah, <laughs> frameable for sure. Yeah, and if playable. I if I ever get my website together, I've probably been working my website for 15 years, but. Uh, you know, it's still not ready. It's got to be perfect. Um, you know, I would, lo- I'd love to just kind of drop some of those tracks. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That'd be cool, man. Uh, People are hungry for it. Like yeah. there's a hu- huge communities for these shows that would love to hear. I mean, when did actually, wasn't there, there was like a comic, a crossover comic that Butch did. And didn't they make that into like a short like Christmas episode? It was like a crossover. Did you do that too? Yeah, yeah, I scored that. Yeah, he he they merged like all four recently. of his shows. Or let's see, was it did he have Yeah, it was all Fairly four. Yeah. Fairly Odd yeah. Parents, Tough Puppy, Danny Phantom, and Bunton is a Beast. We're all in one we're show. All in a two yeah, and a half a minute little wow. special thing. Christmas episode thing. That's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. really fun. Yeah, they were all in the same room, all talking to each other. That was great. Yeah, so the hunger is there from the fan fervor that came <laughs> yeah. out of that. <laughs> I know, and if you watch, if you see any of Butch's podcasts, the, the Danny Phantom is constantly coming up from fans like, when can we see this and when can we, you know, how can we band together to bring this back? And hopefully with, you know, all these companies and corporations kind of converting over to streaming, hopefully there will be some kind of uh, resurgence of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that'd I'm be gonna, cool, man. <clears throat> that'd be cool. You uh, you kind of mentioned your your website is a little bit lacking, but that's okay. But uh, <laughs> can you kind of tell people where maybe they can follow you and like uh, you know look for your work and things like that? Well, literally now, if you if you go to guymoon.com, it's a link to my IMDb page. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> what else do you so, need? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, I mean, I'm as close as I've ever been to launching. So let's say, let's say by January, there, God will, actually, there will be a uh, guymoon.com page with some, <laughs> some useful information. We, we hey, hope, it worked know. out enough that I could submit a message and uh, be able to talk to you. So. Yeah. Wow, I mean, that's, that's not nothing, actually. <laughs> Yeah, basically, you click contact Guy Moon, and it goes to Richard Cray. <laughs> and God bless him. He uh, coordinated the whole thing, so we got to give him another shout-out here Heck at the yeah. end of the episode. Yeah, Richard. <laughs> uh, well, wow. real quick, Alex, why don't you tell people where they can follow you as well? Sure thing. You can find me on Twitter at Alex V. Brohannon, B-R-O-H-A-N-N-O-N. Um, you can also find our podcast, The Cinematic Schematic, on thecinematropolis.com. Cool. And as always, you could follow us on social media. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. So for the Tunes Tunes uh, crew and uh, and all of us over here, uh, thanks again, Guy. You yeah, got it. Yeah, seriously. Oh, man. We'll catch you guys next time. All right. Thanks, guys. 